Okay, open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. No, first. First. I almost forgot. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. So now, Colossians 1. You know, when you start a new book, and I know I don't really have to talk to you about the Apostle Paul, but for me, I just love that man, and I love his story. And his story, if you go back, I enjoy going back to Acts chapter 9 so much. Because I think Paul is such an example of what all of our lives are like, especially most of us raised in West Michigan, most of us going to a church since we were babies. So many of us have just kind of grown up in this. So I just think that sometimes it's so good to go back to the Apostle Paul and to say, you know what, if it happened to him, Maybe we should take a look at his life. Just to remind ourselves that we can also get caught up into that religious trap and miss the best part of this relationship with Jesus. Remember how he he thought he was doing so right. He's not a bad man. He was a very religious man. He was... He was a learned man. He couldn't study enough. He was so passionate about what he was doing. So when he was on that Damascus road, he thought for sure he was right. That this this new group called the way, the new group called the way, we've got to get rid of them because they're going to try to infiltrate and they're going to try to minimize the Jewish law. And I've got to do something about it. And so, I mean, he thought he was on his way to do the right and best thing possible. But I, as I read Acts chapter 9 this week especially. I saw how the Lord just had to speak loudly to him in a way that was undeniable. I mean, the Lord laid him out flat. I mean, I'd say Jesus got his attention. He laid him out flat and then spoke with that voice saying, Saul, Saul, which by the way, I just want to remind you, Saul was his Jewish name, and Paul is his Gentile name. So he said to Saul, why why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Lord, who are you? And the Lord Jesus answered back and said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And Paul never thought he would have been accused of persecuting. But 
Jesus made it very clear. And then he became blind. And all of a sudden, because this is what Jesus does, he takes us no matter who we are, what our social status is, where we are in our position in the church, if we are missing the main point, he will flatten us out somehow, some way, get our attention, and humble us. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. If he hasn't done it already to you in some way, hold on, because he will. Because it's in that humbling you find out who you are. And everything else is blank. Everything else is blocked out. And in the darkness, Paul had nowhere else to go but to think about his life. And for those three days, he sat there humbled and realized because, you know, he had a high position. People did think he was something. He did carry a big stick. He was recognizable. He did have a way about him. He knew how to preach up a storm. But in those three days, he learned a lot. And it took, it took Jesus to go to a man named Ananias and say to him, I got a job for you. I need you to go and talk to my servant I need you to go, and I need for you to explain to him. And Ananias' first response, and you know as well as I do, that that would be our first response. Paul is known for his passion on getting rid of Christians. And so Ananias says, I don't think so. I think I'll pass on that one. And then in Acts chapter 9, Verse 15, Jesus says to Ananias, two-letter word, go, with an exclamation point, go. And then he explained, he says, this man, this man is my chosen instrument. Like before, before any of this, when Paul was pretty much blaspheming Jesus' name. He pretty much was because what the way stood for was the gospel and what Jesus did. And Paul said, no, i got to stop this. That's blasphemy. But remember when we studied Luke, how Jesus himself says, you know what? Even if someone blasphemies my name, if they come in confession and repentance, I will forgive. What an example here. Because already God knew that Paul was going to be used in such a major way to become probably the ultimate apostle of all times, to write a lot of the New Testament for us. God said, Dan and I, you go and you tell him that he is 
chosen. I've chosen this man as an instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. No one was more Jew than Paul. And yet he was the one chosen to take this gospel to the Gentiles. And not only the Gentiles, they're kings before all the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias is thinking, that's a mouthful. That is something that is going to be hard for him to swallow. I'm chosen to be an instrument for Jesus to open the door to Gentiles. And that I'm going to suffer. But that was the message Jesus gave to Ananias, and that's the message that Ananias took to Paul. Paul decided after his conversion, he decided to change all of his sermons. He decided to change all of the way he preached. Oh, he still preached with passion and with fervor and with confidence. But he changed all of his Jewish sermons into, he says, I'm going to preach Jesus and I'm going to preach him crucified. I am not going to, I am not going to go against what I have learned. His whole, his whole idea of what religion and a relationship with Christ, everything changed at his conversion. He changed how he preached. He changed how he acted. He changed everything. But that's exactly what's supposed to happen. When he humbles us, we see ourselves in such of a need of a Savior. And then we follow through with our tail between our legs almost, and we go to that cross, and we accept that one and only Savior. So now, when we go into this book of Colossians, you hear Paul start by identifying himself. It's like, it's Paul that's writing. I'm writing this letter. And the reason why Paul is writing this letter to the people of Colossae, to those Colossians, is because he's never been there. Paul did not start this church. So he's never been, he's never met these people. And yet, there's a man, which I have to say is not a prominent New Testament name, Epaphras. Somehow Epaphras had heard one of Paul's sermons. Paul was, he was pastor of the Ephesus church for a couple of years. And he preached up a storm in Ephesus. Not just inside, but outside. He made the gospel known in that city of Ephesus. And it is pretty much figured that he heard a sermon. Epaphras heard one of Paul's sermons about Jesus and him crucified. And how we all need a savior. And we have one. And Epaphras, 
is figured to be the leader of that small church in Colossae. But these people were wonderful people, and they took to the gospel message like none other. They soaked it in. But this this book is not only a book showing us that salvation is a must for every one of us. That salvation is found in none other than the name of Jesus. But I believe that Paul is saying, but there's more to it than that. It's not just getting your ticket to heaven and knowing that you're saved by the blood of the Lamb. You've taken that humbling walk to the cross, but now you have a responsibility. It's like Jesus paid it all for you and me. All to him we owe. Yes, my sin left a crimson stain, but he walked in white as snow. Yes, I believe that. They believe that. But somewhere along the line, sometimes we miss the next part. And that is our responsibility. Jesus did his part. We have a responsibility now to take what we've received. And we need to take it out there. We need to serve. We need to live it. We need to be because it's transforming our life. And we need to take that out there. We need to be transformed day by day into the likeness of Christ. A little less of me every day and a little bit more of him every day. So we see these subtle changes all the time. Like, wow, I wouldn't have done that before. Wow, I got a different look on my face even though I know this is what I'm dealing with. And why did Paul have to go so firmly in this first chapter? Why did he have to talk about salvation, but also responsibility? Because sometimes in our salvation, we get a little spiritually cocky, and we start to think that, especially if I'm in Bible study and I read devotionals and all that. We have to be careful, especially in summertime. That's why I think this is not coincidental that we're doing this book in summer because there happens to be a tendency once in a while to think when we go on vacation that we can go on vacation from everything. When it comes to God's word and clinging to that old rugged cross and to his name, we can never take a vacation because that is so dangerous. And what was happening to this church is that, yes, they did respond to the gospel. Paul is ecstatic at what he's hearing about that church. But because he's, he's under Roman Rule, and because he is in in a Roman prison or under a house arrest, he is not free to come and go. So he relies on reports. And in in my studying, I discovered that what theologians believe happened, and I think it's so true because I can just picture Epaphras. 
He's saying, I know Paul can't come here, but I am so concerned because what was starting to happen to this small church was that false teachers. Now, that's why Paul talks about false teachers so much in his letters. That's why Jesus, when we did Luke, that was a couple of weeks we really talked about false teachers because it's so subtle. They're so good at it. And if we are not grounded, they can be saying what we want to hear. And we can start to think, you know what, I kind of like their version better. So these false teachers were starting to filtrate into that church because maybe maybe they were starting to get a little too spiritually cocky. Maybe they were losing their clinginess. Maybe they thought they had it. Oh, good, we're saved. But what happened was they started buying into this, and it was heresy. This is what they started to do. They started telling the people, just creating a little seed of doubt. But you know, that's Satan's game. That's all he had to do to Eve in Genesis 3, did God really say? Just, just a little bit of doubt. I'm telling you, it's so serious. When Paul heard that false teachers were coming in there telling the people that, you know, I don't know about this whole deity thing. That this man named Jesus, if he really was 100% God, Oh, he was a great man. But this whole concept of 100% God and 100% man, I don't know. That's, that's kind of a hard one. And see, that's all it takes. I mean, even in our lives, if, if we start buying into a little doubt, before you know it, because I've had Christians do this, I've had Christians say to me, well, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm not really saved. Or, um, oh, maybe, uh, well, I'm not sure. And my answer to them is, what happened to blessed assurance? Did you stop singing the song? Did you stop believing the song? You know, and then it just spirals into, well, maybe, well, maybe, well, could be this isn't, maybe I never did. To get my point, Paul knew this is dangerous. I, I tried picturing this. I, I pictured Epaphras knocking on this door, and Paul's so glad to see him. And Epaphras has got this serious look on his face. And he says to Paul, We've got trouble. False teachers have gotten in here and they're starting to plant a seed of doubt. They're, they're starting to doubt the deity of Christ. <laughs> then, then leave it to me because I know I'm a little dramatic, but I believe that Paul jumped up off his chair because I think they were visiting and they were talking and Paul could see the seriousness on Epaphras' face. And then Epaphras got to the point 
And then Paul jumped out of his chair. And he said, get me a pencil. Get me some paper. I can leave here, but I can write him a letter. Because this is serious. Do you, the tea of Christ is our fundamental foundation. I mean, the foundation of what we believe is that 100% God, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, 100% God, he left heaven so that he could become 100% man in the flesh, his body broken, his blood shed, because it would be the only sacrifice his father would accept to redeem us to buy his back. It's got to be true. 100% God, 100% man. Or this whole thing is shot. And if they're starting to get wishy-washy or even doubt it's true, get me that pencil. But he knew just how to handle it. I mean, I just can't appreciate um, the way he started writing this and how he edged into it. He was not condemning. He was not so angry that he could hardly contain himself. No, he loved them so much. He was so concerned. That's why he said, get me my pencil. And he starts by saying, Hi, Paul. And you know my story. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's like, you heard my testimony. You knew that Ananias came and said to me that this man was chosen to be an instrument to give the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, sometimes our lives take a twist. Sometimes it doesn't go the way we expect. Paul is saying, you know, that is not what I intended. I did not intend to be sitting here under house arrest. I didn't expect my life to go this way. No, I was on my way up. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I graduated top of my class. I know the law, every letter. As far as my zeal and passion, I was blameless. I did what the book said. Those first five books. I did it. So he had credentials up the wazoo. But once Jesus grabbed him around the neck and laid him out, Paul realized my life's changed. And I want to be in the center of God's will. He was willing, he was humbled, and now he's willing to surrender, be submissive to God's plan for his life.
But he just had to make that clear to them. And this is what he's going to be doing in this chapter. He's going to, a masterful way of reminding them of who they are, what Jesus has done for them, where they would be without him. And then, you better start working at this. You better never think you can let go because you've got it under control. You better realize this is hard work. This, you've got to make an effort. This is serious business. Or you're going to fall into these traps. And I think sometimes in our day and age, the false teachers that are around, that we're just filling a church pew, if our Bibles are, are shut, or if we think we can take summer off, I'm telling you, that is just when we are vulnerable for the attack of the enemy. Because remember, Satan's job first is to keep us from salvation. But when he doesn't, when that doesn't work, and you and I respond to the gospel, oh, then he's not done. He's going to do everything in his power to keep you and I so ineffective. So we just carry this either self-reliancy or down-defeated, disappointed, discouragement so that nobody wants to come along with us. And he, he wins. Well, I lost her or him, but I'm going to see to it that they're not effective to bring anybody else along. So Paul is saying, we got to get a few things straight. So he starts by saying, to the holy and faithful brothers. Now, King James Version. I like King James better here. Because instead of saying, to the holy, it said, to the saints. And every once in a while, I think you and I need to be reminded that if you're a true follower of Jesus, you are a saint. I know we're not perfect, but we're a saint. A true follower of Christ is a saint. So, to the saints. But then he also adds, in the faithful. I like the way he includes all the saints. He doesn't just say leaders of the church, elders, deacons, or whatever. He is saying, church, every one of you, a follower of Christ, I'm talking to you. But then he added that word faithful. Could it be, he's saying, you're faithful when you keep believing and trusting and being obedient to the word and you do not lose that clinging feel because you know that a little crack in your armor is all that's necessary for Satan to weasel in like a snake. And if, could it be the faithful are the ones that are standing strong and saying, that's heresy. The deity of Christ is our foundation. So to the saints, to the holy, the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace 
Two of Paul's favorite words. Grace, that undeserved favor, what we did not deserve for one second, we received it. And because of that grace, we can live in peace. We can sing blessed assurance. The world can be falling apart and we can still have peace because we know. We know what he's promised. We know our future. And that's a powerful way to live. And Paul wants you and I to live like that, waking up every morning with that kind of confidence, that kind of hope, that kind of grace and peace. He always knew how to start a letter. He knew just the right words. And then he moved in into this. And you can tell that anybody hearing this would have loved to add this compliment. When Paul said, we always, and we, who's he talking about? He's talking about me, Timothy. Because right now, Timothy is visiting him. Right now, Paul is probably saying to Timothy, I've chosen you to start taking over for me. I can hear Timothy saying, oh, you've got to be kidding. I do not have a personality like you at all. You're type A. I'm type C. I got a problem with timidity. I get a little timid once in a while. Paul says, it's not about you, Timothy. It's not about you at all. The Lord told me it's you because of your heart. Because your mom and your grandma sat you down every day as a little boy growing up and they taught you the truth. They kept it simple. I will give you instruction. I will lay it out for you in a letter. In two letters. And I'll make sure that you have everything you need. But most importantly, you've got him. You've got his spirit. You'll be fine. I can hear this whole conversation. So Timothy, Timothy is there. And who knows who else, because Paul could have visitors. And it could be that right at this point, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphras had a really good praying, a real good prayer meeting. We always, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. That had to feel so good when the people are reading this letter. When they're hearing from Paul himself saying that we sit down and we pray for you. And we always thank the Father because we have heard things. We know because we have heard that your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. We have heard, we have heard about your faith and this faith is so real. This faith is so real because how do we know that the people, the church of Colossae, their faith is real is because it's coming out in love. They're not back 
backstabbing each other. They're not gossiping about each other. This church is unified. They love each other. You know, when I read this, I got to tell you, Tom and I go to a Sunday school class that I, I don't think that we've ever experienced anything quite like this. It's love for the saints. Real faith in those who are all elderly and some older than us. And the beautiful thing about it is there's such a love for each other. And we know that it comes from the love that we have for Christ, the faith that we have in him, what he's done for our lives personally. And this love then just comes out of us. And it's just a wonderful experience. And I think this is what Paul is saying. We've heard that there's great things happen. You've got the real thing. Salvation has come to your church. And it's coming out in love to the saints. And where does that faith and love come from? It springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you have already heard about it in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. You know, other than grace and peace, when you read those three words, you read faith, love, and those two come from the hope that we have because of the gospel. I thought to myself, those are Paul's words. That sounds like 1 Corinthians 13 to me. And that's exactly what Paul wrote about. When you hear the gospel and you respond to it, all of a sudden you start understanding what, what faith means. And it becomes stronger and stronger. And he's going to get to that, explaining how our faith can become stronger and stronger. And as your faith becomes stronger and stronger, your love for the saints becomes stronger and stronger. And where does that come from? From the hope. And hope isn't like the hope that we have on, the, on, this, on this earth, in this world. We all say, well, you know, I hope the best for you. Hope it all goes well. The hope that we read about in Scripture is a for sure thing done deal. And the hope that, that faith and love come from is a done deal. You hope in the gospel, which has been a done deal for a couple thousand years. And all we have to do is respond to it and then watch what happens to you. And it's a beautiful thing when you can start looking in the mirror and you can start to see this transformation. Because no one knows you other than Jesus. No one knows you better than he does. You know yourself. He knows you. And he is starting to chip away. Because his goal is to turn you and I into the likeness of Jesus. But that takes work. That takes time. It takes effort, it takes commitment, it takes surrender, all those words that are opposite of, let's take a vacation from Bible study. Those are dangerous words. 
And then he says, all over the world. That had been exciting to hear too. Because sometimes we get so into our own little world that we forget that this gospel is changing lives all over the world. He said, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. This is how you know it's real. Because on the second of your salvation, you and I were filled with his spirit. And then he turned us around from the cross and said, now you are going to know what real life is all about. Day by day, you're going to discover more and more. And Paul's going to explain how that can happen. But right now, all he's saying, to get them encouraged, to get them to see what they have and who they are in Christ Jesus, and and to see the, the powerful impact that the gospel can have personally and worldwide. He said, this fruit is growing and you know that this is what happens because it's happening to you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned about it because someone had to tell you. Someone had to come and say to you, do you know how this beautiful gospel works? Do you know what sin left undone can do to you? Do you realize that there is a Savior that shed his blood so that your sin could be covered? That you can look blameless? That you can be assured of eternity? Someone had to tell you about this, and he gives Epaphras. I bet if Epaphras really was with Paul right there, that had to feel great. Because it feels great when you know you've done the right thing, when you have shared it, even if they don't respond, or even if they laugh, or even if they think you're nuts. You can walk away knowing that you can't save, but you are responsible to tell. And see, that's the second part of our salvation. You've got a responsibility. You've got a job to do. Epaphras, what an example, sitting in front of you. He told you. And look what's happening. He's told you. And now he's told us about how you, you responded. He's told us about your love in the spirit. He's told us about love that then turns to joy, then that turns to peace, then that turns to patience, and then kindness, and then faithfulness, and then gentleness, and then self-control. How can anybody stay the same when you start being transformed like that? I bet they were sitting there with their ears wide open, loving what they were hearing, saying, boy, that's good. That is so good. That's right. For this reason. Now he he moves on. 
And he now is going to say to them, for this reason, because salvation has come to this church, because your faith is real, because I've heard how you love the saints, that the fruit of God's spirit is coming out of you. <gasps> That's news I heard. But for this reason, I want you to stay that way. I don't want you to think that you can't falter. That you can't crack. That you can't that you don't ever allow self to take over. That your human feelings start overcoming your faith. See, Paul knows he's been there. This is not an easy road to walk. And sometimes we get off the track. We get off the road. Paul starts by saying, love, love, love. What we hear. Love that it's real. But I also want you to know that as we always pray, thanking the Father for what you have done responding to the gospel that Epaphras has told you, I want you to know that, that since we heard about that, we have not stopped praying for you, asking God to Fill you with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's saying, you know what? If we don't pray this for you, and what does he pray? Asking God to please keep filling them because unfortunately we leak. If we don't stay filled, self gets in there. Our emotions get out of whack. Our doubts start going nuts. We stop singing blessed assurance. We stop singing it as well with my soul. Maybe it's not. We keep praying. We don't stop praying that you keep staying filled with what? The knowledge of his will and how, how, because what does that mean? To stay filled with the knowledge of his will. When you keep him the center focus of your life, you want nothing but being in the center of his will. Because we have learned, because Paul wrote it, because he learned it, that God's will, even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it, God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Paul wrote that. So he says, we don't stop praying that you keep keeping Jesus the center of your life so that you remain because your desire is to stay in the center of his will. And how is that possible? In our frail, human, pathetic human nature that just loves to be all about me. So how in the world can I keep him the center? How can I stay in the center of his will? Even when I know it might hurt. And it might be different than my agenda that I had planned out. 
He says, this is how you do it. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's how you do it. And what in the world is that? What is spiritual wisdom and understanding? If that's the clincher of how you and I can keep him center, keep us on a walk that's close, keep us surrendering to his will in our life, I better understand what spiritual wisdom and understanding is. Spiritual wisdom is this book. This book, that's my, there's no such thing as, ah, let's take a vacation from Bible study. If you want spiritual wisdom, this Bible's got to be open. This has got to be the book you go to. There is none other. There is no other truth that every word is true. No other. Spiritual wisdom. Okay, second one. Second one is spiritual understanding. Well, how do you understand this book? And that's through that gift that you and I were given at Calvary, the gift of his spirit, who then turns words into life and relates it to you and I personally and makes sense out of it. See, so he says, do you really? Do you really? And that's, I guess, what you have to ask. Do I really want him to be the center of my life? Do I really? Because that means you're not. Because there can't be both. Is it Jesus, the sin of your life, or is it you? So you got to decide that first. And then if your answer is yes, I do decide to make Jesus the center of my life. See, this is not all about salvation, see. He's talking to the brothers. He's talking to the saints. They're saved. But he's saying, no, this is step two. You've got to work at this. You've got to see that this is a responsibility you've got to do and commit to. The Holy Spirit will take these words and, like I said, make them life to you, which then you can then relate to what's going on in your life. Makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And we pray this. We pray this nonstop. We pray that you constantly are filled with his word and with the spirit, that you're listening to the spirit's voice instead of your own. We're praying this because otherwise you're going to buy into any false teacher that comes along because they're not going to come and say, no, Jesus is, he did not die for you. He did not save you. He didn't. I mean, they're not going to come and say these things. They're going to be subtle saying, you know, he's wonderful. But as far as this 100% God and 100% man, you know, and that is hard to understand. And if you're not allowing the spirit to say, don't 
believe them. Don't buy it. Because they're so good at it. What about thinking that, that we can help him out a little bit? Yeah, I kind of like their version better than mine. Their version, version doesn't make me feel quite so guilty. It's not quite so convicting. I kind of like their version. And then you just watch, start to spiral down. And Paul says, give me the pencil. I don't think they understand how much work it is to have a close walk. But it'll be so worth it. And he's going to go on in the rest of the chapter to explain that. It's so beautiful. He says, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And you may please him. See, God's desire for us, once he saves us, God's desire for you and I is to then live our life worthy of what he did. I mean, worthy of his sacrifice. That he didn't die in vain for you and I. Step number two is now live your life so that he can see that what he did was worth it. Because you believe it. Sometimes I get asked, how come you behave the way you behave? I know they'd rather say, why are you such, why are you such a spiritual nut? Why are you such a fanatic about all this? I behave the way I behave because I believe what I believe. And that's the bottom line. Do, does our behavior match what we believe? This is what Paul is saying. And to keep your behavior matching what you say and profess to believe, it's going to take work. I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord that it will put a smile on his face because you're bearing fruit. You're be- and, and the fruit that you're bearing is the fruit of his spirit, not the fruit of self. And believe me, there's a day and night difference between the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of self. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, getting to know him better through spiritual wisdom and understanding through his word, and through his Holy Spirit. Then watch yourself change. Watch yourself stay committed. Watch yourself stay on track. Watch yourself hunger and thirst for more of knowing him better. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance. See, look what comes from all this. Look what happens. You and I, can we can get to know our God better and better. We can get stronger and stronger and able to face every day with patience and endurance. And I really like this one. 
and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. To me, that little phrase says, your whole attitude in life can change. If you've got a crack and self has gotten in and you're starting to, to go weak and you start to fail and falter, not fail, falter, and you start to see yourself going down, and you start to see yourself doubt. I'll tell you, when you read these words, how can you joyfully thank the Father for qualifying you to have all this when you didn't deserve it? If that doesn't change your attitude, we've got bigger problems then maybe you're not one of the saints. Maybe you don't understand what being a brother and sister in Christ is really all about. Maybe you've never experienced what it's like. For he has rescued you. He has rescued me. You think of your alternative. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus. Quite a difference. Your your call, your choice, what's it going to be? See, Paul, in a beautiful way, is getting them to think Get in them. I bet they're sitting there. I bet they loved it at first. Oh, we pray for you and thank the Lord every day for how you've accepted this and that your faith is real and that you love the saints and you're doing so good. But here comes this big warning. And all of a sudden they're starting to think, you know what? I think I was getting all the spiritual cocky. I I did let my Bible reading go a few days. I think I might have been guilty of saying, ah, we don't have to go once a month. Or, I don't really have to, it's not that big a deal. Paul is saying, I beg to differ. And you better start begging to differ. In whom and because of the kingdom of the Son, because of Jesus, because of his unconditional love, you and I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, I say, if that doesn't change your attitude, if that doesn't get you ship shape, if that doesn't get you back off the road of self-pity and on to patience and endurance and joyfully thanking the Father for giving you all this. I know I took most of the time there, didn't I? I know what you're thinking. We're going to be here till nine. <laughs> no, we're not. 
because I just needed you to hear this. And the rest of it, I'm going to read. And I'll insert a little bit here and there. But this is when Paul is pinning this letter. And he is saying, because I think in the first 14 verses, he has said it all. He has got them thinking. It's got their eyes back on the supreme God, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. He's got their eyes back on him. So he goes on to say, Jesus, your Savior. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Just let me tell you that's about firstborn. Firstborn in Scripture doesn't, doesn't always mean birth order. When you hear firstborn talking about Jesus, it's talking completely about rank. So never do you think that Jesus is under God the Father. Jesus is the firstborn. He ranks right up there. And don't you ever forget, he is 100% God, 100% man. And that's why Paul says, give me the pencil. Because if you start second-guessing that fundamental foundation, you're going down. For by him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Can I just say this? He created, Jesus created this world. He saved this world. And he rules this world. And again, I think Paul is saying, and don't you ever forget it. Don't you ever doubt his supreme, his supremacy. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of you. He is head of you. He is head of the body. He is head of the church, which is you and I. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Again, he's talking about rank. He's the one, the first one that died never to have to be. Never have to die again. He died and he rose. Never have to die again. That should be very important to you. Because even though we know that the Bible has many people that were raised from the dead. But every one of those people had to die again. Because that Jesus was the first to die and be raised, never to die again. That's us. 
our earthly bodies will die, but our soul doesn't die. So we never have to die again. Can't say the same for the unbeliever. They're going to die, be raised to what be cast into hell and basically die again. So this, that, I think I can hear Paul saying, and don't you ever forget, because he came out of the grave. This is what is going to happen to you. And you will never, your physical body dies, but your soul, you will never die. The part of you that I care about never dies. And it will never die. Don't you ever forget it. That, in his beautiful way of writing, is saying that. For God. God in his three persons. So God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. God the Father, all for it. All for it, because he knew that was the only way that he was going to have us pathetic sinners be bought back. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I can hear God the Father saying, all for it. Pain me to turn my back on my son as he took on the sins of every one of you. Pain me to watch him suffer and die. But I am pleased for what it resulted in. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God. Once he's, don't you ever forget, don't you ever forget that before you knew Jesus, you were nothing. And you were hellbound. You were lost. You were alienated from God. You were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. When it was all about you. When it was all about you. You were enemies. But now. Don't you love those words? Those two words. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Can you believe that? Paul is saying to the people of Colossae, to you and me tonight, don't you ever forget. This is what's going to keep Christ centered in your life. Keep you desiring God's will and God's will alone, no matter what it is. Because you remember what he did for you. We now, when he, just think, when God looks at you and I, it's without blemish. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? And I loved it also when he said, without blemish and free from accusation. And guess who wrote these words? And now, there is now no condemnation. 
for those in Christ Jesus. Huh. Guess who wrote that? Same man that's writing this. Amen is right, Jack. Because he is reminding them, he's reminding you and I, do you realize what you have? And don't you want to keep this going? And it says, if you continue in your faith. So in other words, he's saying, I just want you to know, this is what you can count on. When your salvation is real, when your faith is real, when you start to realize that your life is changing through God's spirit, through understanding and his word, and you're working at that because you want to get to know him better, if you're willing to put in the work, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, you don't move from it. You don't falter from it. You don't let self try to lie to you. Because your itching ears would rather take their version. Or, you know, that book, that's the new fad out now. I don't care how good it is. It isn't God's word. If you don't want to get sucked up into the teachings of false teachers, he said, this is what, this is what it takes. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. If that's not a changed life, when you've got that man with high position and authority, now calling himself, I have been privileged to see that God's will for me is to be shipwrecked, beaten to a pulp, left for dead, laughed and mocked at, He says, look, I've been able to proclaim this. Epaphras gets this too. What are you saying? Will you keep this in mind? If you have the chance to share, share it. If you have the chance to preach it, preach it. If you have the chance to stand for the truth of his word, stand for it. I think this world is in such a mess. It's because Christians did not really do it. And that's why Paul is saying, get me my pencil. I don't think they get how important it is and how hard they got to work at this. But the results are phenomenal. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. I think that broke his heart. I think when Paul said and wrote those words, I think it hurt him that Jesus had to go through all that. But when he says the word rejoice, again, the real word is joy. It's not happy. Paul doesn't have to be happy about it. Ah, isn't that funny that he had to do that? No. 
He's saying, I rejoice in his suffering because look what it did. Look what it did for me. Look what it did for you. There was no other way. Even when Jesus said, if it can come up with something else, Father. And the Father said, no. And Jesus said, okay, I want to be in the center of your will. But then he says, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is in the church. Which is the church. He is basically saying, but as long as I have breath on this earth, I want to I wanna feel, I do not want to lack anything. I don't want to sit here in this prison and feel sorry for myself because I can't actually go to that church. It's so easy to, to sin in our circumstances and start feeling sorry for ourselves. See, nope, I'm not going to do that. I am going to keep filling up because I still have work to do because there's a world out there that still needs to hear. I've become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Why do you think Paul's saying? He's using himself as an example. But he's saying... I'm not going to last forever. And we all, this responsibility is for every one of us. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. The mystery that the gospel is for everybody. Believe me, the Old Testament, the Jewish law, you know, you know what they thought of Gentiles. And the fact that Jesus picked Paul, probably the Jew of all Jews, to be the ambassador to the Gentiles is just typical Jesus. I'll show you. This gospel is for Jew, Gentile, slave-free, male, female. See, we live on this side of the Crucifixion, resurrection, and the ascension. We live on this side of Pentecost. Back in the Old Testament, they just had to hold on to the promise. It was a mystery to them that Jesus could actually be 100% God and come to earth be 100% man. That's a mystery to them. And now Paul is saying, we live in this age that we've got his word, we've got his spirit to make it clear, to penetrate to the depths of our soul. This mystery has been disclosed to us. We have no excuses. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You got a Jew writing a letter and speaking this fervent and this strong and this adamant and this loving and this concerned to a bunch of Gentiles. 
because it's Paul that wrote the gospel is for us all. And then I did you just love the way he says, it's Christ. He is your, he is my hope of glory. We proclaim him. And we love that word proclaim. Why? Because proclaim is good news. The angels proclaimed the message of the Savior has come. We proclaim the best and the greatest life-changing news. We proclaim it to you. But then he used the word admonish. We proclaim him and admonish. I looked it up. The word admonish is, well, it's like a warning. It's like advice. It's, it's a little, you know, pro- proclaiming. We're telling you the story, but we're admonishing you because this story, you got one of two choices here. And it's yours. So we admonish you. And we teach you. We teach everyone with all wisdom. We teach you with this book. And this book alone. So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Other versions don't use the word perfect. Because I think when we read that, we think that's not attainable. Only when I get to glory am I going to be perfect. And that's true to a point. But remember, he looks at us as perfect and blameless through his son. And now with the responsibility we have, that word can be used the word maturity. Paul is saying, you and I have got to day by day become more and more mature. And we do that through his word. I hope that tomorrow he will say, boy, I sure did learn a lot in chapter one. Let me go over that again. And then as you start going into chapter two, I can't wait to go to chapter two because I can't wait to see what I'm going to learn today. I learned this yesterday. I'm going to learn this tomorrow. Paul says, this is how it happens. So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's your responsibility. Yes, to go to the cross, get saved. But if you want to keep yourself on the right track, if you want to keep your ears saying, that's heresy, that's a false teaching, I am not going to buy that for an instant, then you got to stay in his book, listening to his spirit, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ to this end. I labor. Paul's saying, I'm working hard. This takes hard work. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy. You know the verse that he wrote, Paul wrote, so many of Paul's verses came to my mind. He wrote Ephesians 3.20. And I thought of that when Paul says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. It's his power working in me. But boy, I got to work hard. 
Ephesians 3.20. And he is able to do immeasurably more than what you and I can ever fathom or think. And he does that with the power that he puts in us. So he's doing the work. But he's asking you and I to be responsible with this gospel message and to be the vessel, to be the instrument. Because we got a world that's messed up. And the answer has been and always will be Jesus. Heavenly Father, we commit this lesson to you. And as Paul wrote this in such a beautiful way, to encourage but also to remind and also to give firm advice what it's going to take so that we don't get sucked up into the world's way of thinking. Father, how much you love and care for us. Your concern that we stay on a close walk with you is so evident through all the tools you've given us. So now I guess it's our choice, isn't it? But we thank you. We absolutely thank you. And may every day we know you better. Our faith gets stronger. Our love for the saints and you gets greater and greater. That we stand in the mirror and say, I hardly even recognize who I'm looking at. My, my, a sinner saved by grace. And look what it can do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.